Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Need some advice, Catholic take on what's going on in your relationship? Give us a call today. Our toll-free line is 888-914-9149, and it's sponsored by Catholic Order Forester's Life Insurance. What's happening in your marriage, in your relationship? Joining me today is Doug Hinderer, and he's the host of the new show here on Relevant Radio on Saturday mornings called Marriage Unhindered, taking your questions surrounding romance, love, all of those challenges. And in fact, if you don't have a question now, be sure to ask it on social media as well. You can follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. But we're diving into the five love languages. And Doug, I always laugh when talking about the five love languages now because I was super into these. I love the five love languages. I think it was very enlightening for me to be more self-aware of my own needs, but also within the context of dating and now marriage, aware of what was a little more predominant for or then at the time when I was introduced to it, my husband who I was then dating. And it's funny because my husband always teases Doug and I'm sure you'll have insights into this. He says, well, yes, you may have a predominant love language regarding me, but he says, I really think women just need all five of them at the end of the day to be met. And so he's not as big of a fan of the five love languages and that he his kind of emphasis is there's so much more that needs to be done in like checking all of those boxes that sometimes focusing on just one to him doesn't seem to be enough. So I'd love to dive into the five love languages, what they are, and navigating some of those questions where I think there's a different approach between men and women with regard to them. Yeah, for sure. And um, yes, you know, we need we need all five. But there is one or two that is more meaningful to us, right? So, you know, and I, when my wife and I did it, I scored, I think, a zero on gifts. I mean, I just don't. I hate giving <laughs> gifts. I don't like receiving gifts. I'm a zero on that. But on the other hand, you know, if uh, my wife comes home from the grocery store and she tosses me a little packet of M&Ms because she knows I love M&Ms, that makes me feel good, right? <laughs> it's a gift. Because it said she thought about me and she did something nice for me. So we need all five, but there's always one or two that really kind of ring our bell for us. Mm. So let's run through what those five love languages are. And then, well, maybe before we do that, if you can dive into some of the philosophy of this, because I think this whole idea of love tanks is really keen and understanding that while we might not be in need of love in a particular way, as you just mentioned, someone else might be. So maybe you weren't good at giving gifts, but you really loved receiving the gifts, for example. That's right. That's right. And this is where people get confused sometimes in the love languages is there's a difference between the love I like to receive and the love I like to give. Now, the problem is we tend to love other people the way we want to be loved. And so if I like giving mm -hmm. gifts, I might give my wife a lot of gifts thinking that will be meaningful to her 
And she might be, yeah, not at all. I really like, you know, quality time. Uh, so forget the gifts. So if we don't actually kind of have a conversation about how is it that you feel loved? How is it that you feel special? I'm going to love you the way I want to be loved. And I might miss the mark on that. Yeah. Mm. It's funny because I think sometimes we're not aware of it. Like the test is surprising. You can actually take the test for free and posting a link to the five love languages test because I think it's great. And I remember when my husband did it and this was before we got married. He was startled because I think one of his top ones was actually gifts, receiving gifts. And he was like, (laughs) no, 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 no. Like he didn't want to be that guy. He's like, I'm not that kind of guy. I promise I'm not that kind of guy. And I had just read the book. So I said, actually, it could be simpler than you think. You mentioned the M&Ms, for example, like just these little touch points, but the touch point for him might be receiving something like that. Exactly. Like a bag of M&Ms, a thing of beef jerky. Like it's so simple. Yeah, exactly right. And the thing on, you know, on receiving gifts, it's really not about how materialistic the gift is. It's not about how expensive the gift is. It's about the fact that you thought about me when I Mm -hmm. wasn't around and you saw something that made you think of me and you decided to buy it. And it could be a bag of NMs. It doesn't have to be a, a Ferrari. You know, I would like one of those. I don't think my wife's going to buy one. But, you know, it's the fact that you thought about me when, when you weren't with me and you thought, wow, this might make him smile. I think I will give it to him. So mm-hmm. that's, it's about the message that it says I've been thinking about you rather than well, you really needed a new pair of socks. So I stopped and picked some up for you. Right. Right. And they're so intertwined in many respects, like even giving like a small little letter or note is in a certain respect, a type of gift to receive as well. And that's one oh, yeah. way I try to show it. And it is to him like a little gift, a little treasure. Yeah. 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 I think, and that, right. And that kind of combines the, you know, the receiving gifts with words of affirmation, right? So yes. if you live a little love note, you know, uh, you know, in front of the coffee pot in the morning, so he sees it, or you know, in his, you know, his backpack or whatever is, you know, his briefcase when he goes off to work, um, and he sees it. That's a that's a double win because there's words of affirmation there, and it said, "I really thought about you, and I wanted to do something to make you, you know, smile." Yeah. Let's dive into what these five love languages are. We mentioned verbal affirmation, and we mentioned gift giving, but what are the other three? Sure. So words of quality time, right, is is being together, spending time together, um, connecting, especially in our day and age without a screen present. Right. Yes. So there's nothing between you and me. No cell phone, no smartphone, you know, no iPad. Uh, just being together, spending time together, even if we're not talking about much, the fact that we're just together uh, is can be really meaningful for folks. Um, and then acts of service. So doing something nice for somebody else. I've got a fun story I can share with you on that where my wife is concerned, but acts of service, doing nice things for other people or receiving acts of service. When we receive an act of service that says to me, wow, you were thinking about me and you wanted to please me. And so you've done something nice for me that could be vacuum the carpet or fold the laundry. Uh, and then physical touch, physical touch. And uh, the physical touch is in marriage, it's a lot, lot more than what happens in the bedroom. This is about what happens in the kitchen. This is about a hug. This is about, you know, a little, a little, uh, shoulder massage when you're doing dishes. This is 
holding hands when you go for a walk or just kind of snuggling up close to each other when you're watching TV or something like that. So physical touch for a lot of people is very, very meaningful because it means we're close and you actually want to want to touch me. And, you know, we have so many nerve sensations, you know, on our skin that that can trigger some feelings of, of warmth and, and love and, and uh, uh, you know, just connection. It's so funny, too, because in the book, and if you're not familiar with the five love languages, it's actually a book. You can read it for couples. You can read it for others. But the founder of this, he has all kinds of even discovering what they are in your children. It's funny because I've actually mm -hmm. seen a predominant ones come up in my children in particular as well. Like my firstborn, it seemed like right out of the womb. I also went, man, she really, like, really wants quality time. And it just continues mm -hmm. to be seen in her behavior. My second, it's more so she loves that physical touch. She's a snuggler. And it's really yeah. cute to see yeah. how that's, like, right out the gate present, or at least has been with the two of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, right, exactly right. And I think it kind of goes to, you know, we are born with a certain temperament. We're born with a just a commitment to a certain way of looking at the world, certain way that we interact with the world. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's right from the start. So, yeah. And so if you know that this child needs a lot of physical touch and the other one needs something else, well, you know, you'll, you can adjust your parenting to what will be meaningful for the child. So it's really kind of a good thing to figure out for each of the kids for sure. It's a little startling, though, when you think about it in relation to relationships, because Dr. Gary Chapman is the founder of these five love languages in this, these books. And I hope you'll pick up the book. It's really intriguing to read. We'll post a link, especially to the quiz, because I know that's probably what everyone would like to do is the quiz <laughs> to figure out what is mine. But what he dives into is how marriages that come to him that were on the brink of divorce as a therapist helping to navigate them, that what they'd find is that sometimes the way that the two were loving each each other were in ways that they needed to be loved and not the way that yes. the other person needed. And so yes. maybe one was, okay, clean the whole house, keeping the house perfectly clean when, let's say, the husband gets home, floors are vacuumed, everything was picked mm -hmm. up. And while mm -hmm. that's great and appreciated, what he really needed was, say, quality time, yet she was so busy always trying to keep the house clean for him as an mm -hmm. act of love. But what mm -hmm. he was really desiring was just to be in her presence. And so what Dr. Gary Chapman refers to as these empty love tanks where they were hungry for each other's love because they just yeah. weren't loving each other in a way that the other needed it. Yeah, exactly. See, and I think I'm loving you really well and I am missing the mark. So when, when the book first came out, I read it and it was in the springtime and I, you know, we just started opening the windows. The weather was nice. And I was sitting in our bedroom and I was reading a book and I looked over at my wife's dresser and it was dusty. And I had determined that my wife's love language was acts of service because she is always doing something for the kids, for me at church, at the school. It's this woman that just spends her whole life in acts of service. And so I see her dresser is dusty. And so I got up and I dusted her dresser. I took all the little knickknacks off in the jewelry box and dusted all that, dusted everything, put everything back exactly where it was. I sat down in the chair feeling pretty good about myself that I know how to love my wife. I looked up and she was standing in the doorway and she said, what did you do? I said, I dusted your dresser. I got the biggest smile on my face. My chest has popped out. I'm feeling so cool. She's like, don't you think I can take care of my own dresser? Oh, no, no. Yes. But I just, you know, acts of service. I thought she said, don't touch my dresser. I will dust my own dresser. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I, right. I missed the whole thing. Right. So 
her she gives love through acts of service but that's not how she wants to receive it she wants to receive quality time that's her one of her powerful love languages but i loved her the way i the way she showed love is the way i gave it to her that wasn't the connection and i missed it entirely she got a clean dresser out of it but i have not dusted that dresser since i'll tell you that That's really funny. It reminds me a little bit yeah. of, of my husband's so great about like helping to run and do grocery shopping and coming mm. home. But my thing is like, just let me organize the fridge. I like it the way I have it. Also, like it's just, <laughs> I want to do this for you guys. And he's so sweet. He'll yeah. put everything away in the fridge and he'll get it all in there. And, and I'm just like, please, d- please don't, don't worry about organizing the fridge. <laughs> Definitely a lesson in how to uh, yeah. <laughs> express those things that we don't necessarily want or need yeah. sometimes. Well, exactly right. And I think you're early Earlier example was was really a great one too about the the wife who makes sure the husband comes home to a clean house, and he doesn't care about the mess. He just wants to spend time with her. But she's she's tired, she's wore out, or she's constantly still running around trying to straighten up. Especially if you got little kids, you know you're always going to have a messy house. Uh, and so she's missing it, thinking she's loving him a lot when all he really wants is her just to meet him at the door, give him a hug and a kiss, and sit down and talk to him for a few minutes. You know, so mm-hmm. great example. If you have a question for licensed marriage and family therapist Doug Hinder today on trending, we're happy to take it. The not, the line is 888-914-9149. You can also ask your question now on social media. Just follow me on Tim at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. And if you haven't heard Doug's new show, Marriage Unhindered, mm-hmm. heard here on Relevant Radio on Saturday mornings, be sure to check it out, taking your marriage, dating, relationship questions. So if you have a question, whether you're single, wanting to meet people, wherever it might be, we're happy to take them. Doug, I do want to pitch a question in your direction. It was thrown at me last week, and mm-hmm. I thought you would be a neat person to open it up to. If you were single today, yeah. Trying to meet someone to date and who mm. is marriage material, where yeah. would you go to try and meet people? <laughs> so that's a really good question because I have some single children who are out there trying to meet people, um, and I, you know, the number one place people are going to these days, uh, you know, is online. Uh, I think you've got to spend time online. It's it's just it's just kind of where people meet people. Uh, you know, days of meeting people at a bar or is, you know, that's kind of going by the wayside or at work, people are working from home more now. So I think mm-hmm. online and the, the thing I've encouraged, you know, my kids to do and, and other people is to kind of cast a wide net when you're online and it's easy online to just reject people. Oh, well, they got one, this thing. I don't like that. This one thing. I don't like that. This one thing. I don't like that. Well, you know, sometimes, you know, cast a wide net, go out for a cup of coffee or a glass of wine. And if you don't hit it off, boom, if you do hit it off, well, then maybe you've got some other things to talk about. But, but my wife and I have often talked about that. You know, if we, if, if we were dating now, we probably wouldn't have clicked on each other's, you know, website or on each other's profile. Uh, Cause there were a couple of things there. Yeah. That but we might've said, nah, I don't think so. Uh, but you know, we met in college and we kind of got attracted to each other before we tackled some of the tougher questions, but we worked it all out. And so I just think cast a wide net, nothing, you know, I would have a couple of coffee dates a week. Um, and just to see, you know, who you connect with and and who you don't. And, and, um, so I think that's, that's what I would say. I, the other thing I'd say is, 
you've got to make sure all of your friends know that you're out looking yes. to meet somebody. Yes. Yep. The whole networking thing, right? The <laughs> more people who know that you're yes. in the market, they know people who know people who know people. Yes. Uh, I think that's really good. And then I think, too, at least in the big cities, I know here in Chicago, some of the larger parishes have got singles clubs uh, and they get together with other parishes. I think that's a really good place uh, as mm -hmm. well. So I, I just think leave no stone unturned, but the networking, making sure your friends know you're looking for somebody and do they know anybody? Do their brothers know anybody? Their sisters know anybody? Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and don't be bashful. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I, I hear all the time from the women, man, there aren't any decent guys out there. And from the guys, man, there just aren't any decent women out here. You know? mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, there are. We just got to figure out how to get them together. So. Yeah, open your pool of people. And a few th thoughts just on what you said, because I th think everything is so great. I think that online dating needs to be thought as and relabeled in the brain as online introduction. Because I have a lot of friends who say, uh, don't say online dating to me. Don't you dare put those two words into your mouth and say it to me. Mm -hmm. And I always just say, I wasn't going to say it, but I do think you need to change your mind and stop calling it online dating. It's an online introduction. That's like all that. it is. And yeah, I like I, that a lot. Yeah, I think a lot of, especially I think the women today are very uncomfortable with it. And I think that's good to be uncomfortable in that, like you said, if you and your wife were to see each other's profiles back in the day, you never would have clicked on each other because it's it can be a facade. There's only so much you can share. And it's also what you perceive about yourself or want people to perceive about you that you put up on that profile when there's so much greater depth yeah. and so i think the holy spirit's got to be a part of that online introduction and finding people i agree i, I absolutely agree and I, I think to to that point to your point about the holy spirit prayer has to be an important part of what you're doing you've got to you've got to just storm heaven with prayers because god knows who he's got in mind for you and then that that god can bring the two of you together and at the right time etc so i think we need to do, I would think if I were single, I'd spend a lot more time praying some novenas, saying some rosaries, you know, offering up some sacrifices that you meet the right person. Because it's, listen, God wants you to get married for, you know, the majority of us. And he wants you to bring children into the world that are going to love him and worship him and spend all of eternity with him. So God wants this thing to happen as much as we do. Mm -hmm. We need to, you know, pray more for it, I think, as well. And we had an episode earlier in the week with a professional matchmaker, and oh. she dove into five things to do if you found yourself single on St. Valentine's Day. And I hope uh. if you're single, you will go and listen to that episode because it really is so much more than you probably think it is. So I I'm just going to leave that teaser out there because you might be surprised by some of those things on the list. But coming back to one other thing you said, Doug, mm. if you're just joining me, that's Doug Hinder, licensed marriage and family therapist here on Trending. You mentioned that, tell everybody, tell all your friends that you're single, you want to date, but it's not just you want to date, you also want to be married. You want to start a family mm. because I mm -hmm. think that's a key part of it. But I keep thinking of how important it is. Tell people you respect. Tell people who are mentors or even working professionals, yeah. if you have that type of relationship, hey, I would love to yeah. meet someone if you know people who you admire or look up to. It might be the older ladies at your yeah. church who you know they have yes. potentially uh, grandsons or nephews or nieces. I never forget my sister-in-law. She met her husband because there was a woman who kept coming into her work who really liked her 
they ha- they hit it off really well and she set my sister-in-law up with a guy who actually used to date her own daughter and, <laughs> and just she she thought the two would fit they had similar yeah. christian views and that's all it takes of people knowing hey you're single and two you're interested in not just marriage but family as well yeah yeah i, I probably i'm going to get in trouble i think for sharing this story but one day uh a number of years ago, I bumped into a young man coming out of daily mass and uh, introduced myself to him. And he was working on an MBA at University of Chicago. So a very smart guy with a very smart future, about the same age as one of my daughters. So I invited him over for dinner the following Sunday. And I got home to my daughter and I said, hey, uh, sweetheart, what are you doing Sunday? She said, ah, nothing. I said, good, because I just invited a guy over for dinner who I want <laughs> you to meet. Uh, and she was mortified that I would do that. <laughs> but I did. And he came for dinner, and uh, I thought he was a wonderful guy. But uh, and I think they did get together for a cup of coffee once after that, and they didn't. They did not hit it off. But I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I always have my eye open for a prospective son-in-law or daughter-in-law. And, you know, I think making sure as many people as possible know you're looking. I think it can't hurt. And you know what? Well, and she might have I'm been gonna mortified. Go I bet she, she was, was really appreciative as well, well later on. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. I'm going to go back, though, and listen to your earlier program, because I'm giving a talk uh, Sunday in St. Louis to a large group of single uh, uh, men and women. And so I'll pick up some tips there, and I'll pass that on when I get to St. Louis on Sunday. Enjoy. Be sure to catch on the podcast. And by the way, on the Relevant Radio app and the podcast, you can listen to Doug Hinder's new show, Marriage Unhindered, here on Relevant Radio, Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Central. We'll come back taking questions you might have for Doug, licensed marriage and family therapist, free advice with a Catholic take as well. The phone number is 888-914-9149. Or ask your question now on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M. E-R-I-E. I'll be keeping an eye online, especially that Instagram question box. We'll be right back. talking about what you're thinking about you're listening to trending with timory on relevant radio and the relevant radio app taking your questions today with a licensed marriage and family therapist and just in a little bit i'll discuss a ariana grande song yes and it's an interesting song if you know a little bit of the backstory which you probably do but I think it's an opportunity for a lot of reflection when I was thinking about it. Also, I heard this saying the other day, and I'll dive into it a little more in a bit. And it was this. Take care of your body as if you'll live forever. Care for your soul as if you'll die today. More on that in just a bit. Joining me now is licensed marriage and family therapist Doug Hinder. You can catch his show here on Relevant Radio, Marriage Unhindered, giving Catholic advice from a professional therapist, Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Central. We have a number of questions coming in. Let's start with this one. No, packing a little bit of a punch here. Uh, Doug, Regina asked, my love language is physical affection and my husband's is gifts. I buy him gifts even though I hate spending a lot of money on, quote, stuff to make him happy, but he won't cuddle me and sex is terrible. What am I supposed to do? Mm. 
Wow. Yeah, that's a, yes, I've got a couple that I'm working with right now with the same thing. And I think, uh, man, that's a tough one. And, you know, the idea is to explain to your husband gently, you know, in ways that you like to see uh, affection. It's, um, it's tough. And it's kind of a, I don't know that I would call it an epidemic these days, but a lot of young men don't seem to have nearly as much interest in marital intimacy as my generation did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, well, and I think the science is uh, the average man these days has a lot less testosterone in his system than mm-hmm. my generation did when yeah, we were halved. in our 20s. Yep. Is that what it is? About half? Halved, yeah. halved testosterone, halved sperm count today, and totally yeah. different. And I think porn, I mean, there's a lot of environmental uh. impacts, but I would just looking at this and questioning whether or not there might be something going on with pornography, because if she's saying intimacy yeah. is awful, and again, yeah. physical affection is so much more than what happens in the bedroom, as you say, there might be something more going on behind the scene. Yeah, I agree. I thought about the pornography possibility as well. I mean, that's one of the things I'd say, you know, get some professional up. I mean, first thing is get a, you know, he should go get a checkup and find out if there's something physically going on that he's not more interested because he should be, he should be very interested, especially if you are, uh, if the wife is very receptive, the, the husband should be, but this is I a problem wants, of this generation. Yeah. Just giving yeah. the question is she wants physical affection, like cuddling. And she said the intimacy is terrible that they're having. Yeah. Uh, the the sex yeah. is. So I'm wondering if she's not enjoying things is maybe more clearly what it sounds like. That so could that be. Would, and part of, yeah. well, couples who, who have a mutually uh, fulfilling experience in the bedroom, one of the things they have in common is they are able to talk about it. And they are able to say, hey, this works, this didn't work, I enjoyed that, can we try this? I, You know, they're able to have conversation about that. And that's difficult even for couples who have been married 20 or 30 years. Sometimes it's kind of an embarrassing thing to talk about. But um, men, are, we're kind of stupid when it comes to what would please a woman. And so we really need you to help us and guide us and direct us as to what could work. So if he's willing uh, and he's just failing, then conversation can help. If he's not even willing, um, then I would go the medical doctor checkup route first and then get some, some therapy. There might be some childhood scars there. There might be some childhood sexual trauma uh, that has come into play. There might be, you know, uh, I worked with a couple once where, you know, it was just beaten into the man's head so much that sex is sinful that once he got married, his brain said it's not, but everything mm-hmm. else in his body said, no, I still can't do this. And so mm-hmm. you know, it takes a lot of work yeah, to overcome some of these childhood yeah. messages that are drilled in. So. Yep. Yep, I know people who have struggled with that too. And that freedom of understanding the gift of intimacy within the right context, I think is so key. And it's important for when you're teaching the theology of sexuality as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple thoughts firing off here. Great book. If you've not heard of it, I'm sure you're aware of it. Enjoy the Gift of Sexual Pleasure for Women. It's written from a Christian perspective uh, mm-hmm. with Christian therapists. So if that's something you're struggling okay. with, I think more women need to be aware of that book if they're struggling with enjoying intimacy. And then also, I want to pitch this in your direction because the bell that's ringing in the back of my mind is pornography. And I think it's really important that we're able to have open and candid conversations, Doug, with our husbands, with check-ins with regard to pornography. I think we're very naive 
as wives or as girlfriends today to not be having those conversations. And so it's funny because I'll bring it up from time to time and there's no like real unawkward way to bring it up. My husband always kind of laughs and is like, thank you for asking. And, you know, we address it and <laughs> praise God, my husband is wonderful, but it's also a good place to talk about temptations and where those might be. And one, he's always been really frank with like going to the beach anywhere mm -hmm. in California. Oh, yeah. It's just hard. And yeah. so those conversations happen and you start to adapt a little bit your life around that as necessary. So I'm pitching this in your direction. What would you yeah. recommend as a good way to check in with someone you're dating versus someone you're married to in all stages of that marriage on this yeah. issue of pornography? Yeah, I you know, uh, man, it, it it this is we could do an entire show on this. In fact, I probably will one of these Saturdays. Um, you know, ninety percent of all twenty-something men uh, uh, admit to having having viewed pornography, and something like sixty, sixty-five percent, uh, two or three times in the past week. It's a ubiquitous problem. I think it's more addictive than heroin. It has there is mm -hmm. research out says yes, it's it more is. addictive than cocaine mm -hmm. uh, because it affects more the neural pathways. Uh, I, I believe every single male on the planet struggles with the temptation to view pornography. Some are very good at resisting that temptation, but the temptation exists for every single person. The most important thing I think for the wife to understand is that this is not a condemnation or a criticism of you. This is not about you. Mm -hmm. This is about male weakness, the beauty of the human body. And, um, it's a, it's a weakness. So it's not, and a lot of women take it personal. Well, if I was more attractive, if I lost mm -hmm. weight, if I was taller, if I was blonde, if I, whatever, no, it's not about any of that. He's not rejecting you and turning to pornography. He's been looking at pornography since before he met you and perhaps probably from the time he was 10 or 12 years old, off and on, let's hope. Mm -hmm. Uh, and let's pray that he's, he stays in a state of grace and he's able to overcome that. Um, Here's the other thing, too. I, the thing that could be very helpful, and it sounds like you're doing a good job of this, Timmy, is for the husband to understand that my wife is here to help me. She's not going to judge me and condemn me if I, if I fail. And one of the best couples I worked with, they'd only been married a few months. They came into my office. They sat down. And they had a little love seat there. And I said, what can I help you with? The husband's eyes immediately went to the floor. The wife reached over with her hands, took both of his hands in hers and said, my husband is struggling with pornography, and I'm here to find out how I can help him. Mm, that beautiful. is, and they made wonderful progress. They did terrific. She didn't get upset. She didn't judge him, didn't condemn him. She said, you know what? We're married now. This is our problem, and I want to be part of the solution. And so for women to say, I, I realize it feels like infidelity, and it is in a, in a large re regard. But to say, wow, I, I can love you through this struggle. I can love you through this addiction. I can love you through this challenge. Very powerful help for the husband. Mm. I'm going to include some resources in the episode notes as well as on social media. If you or someone you know is struggling with pornography, Catholic take on this is really important. Sound therapy, sound science, and our Catholic faith well integrated into these programs, include integrityrestored.com. And also, mm -hmm. if you've experienced betrayal trauma, if you're a woman who's experienced that betrayal of uh, whether it's been infidelity via an affair or via pornography, that's bloomforcatholicwomen.com. Alexis was on the line in New Mexico. She wasn't able to stay on the line, but her question today was how to get your husband to go to therapy. 
Oh, yeah. Um, that's a tough one because a man's predominant fear is failure. We get more triggered by fear of failure than any other fear that there that exists out there. And for a lot of men to admit that they to agree to go to therapy is tantamount them admitting I'm failing as a husband. I can't fix my own problem and I need help, which is why so many men resist therapies, this fear of failure. I think part of it is to, to couch it to the husband in terms of this will help me learn how to love you better. And will you do it for me? Uh, because it is meaningful to me. So put it in terms of you haven't failed, but I'd like to learn how we can do better and how I can do better as a wife and having you there in the room will help me. So put it more on the fact that this is an act of love he can do for you than the fact that somehow he's broken and he needs somebody else to fix him. That message will not, will not resonate with most men. It's so fascinating. It's scary because if men see their marriage struggling, that fear can come up as a almost a defense mechanism rather than diving and doing the work necessary. That's right. That's exactly that's exactly right. So, yeah, I think yeah, that's the thing. I, I, the other thing I would say is, listen, you can improve your marriage even if your husband doesn't show up. So, if there's issues in your marriage, I would encourage you to go see a marriage therapist individually where you can talk about the struggles and you can get some good guidance and direction on how you can start to bring about improvements, even if your husband uh, doesn't want to come to therapy. That's a Doug Hinder from the new show here on Relevant Radio, heard every Saturday morning live taking your questions at 11 a.m. Central, Marriage Unhindered. Thanks for being with us, Doug, and for diving into some of these tough questions with dating and relationships. Up next, diving into Ariana Grande's new song, Yes, and I don't know if you know the backstory, but there was a lot of time for reflection as I was listening to this song and the controversy out there around it. So stay with me. talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Lover, hater, Ariana Grande's new song, Yes And has hit a little bit of backlash because there's a bigger story behind it. Now, I don't listen to Ariana Grande, but I was intrigued by the story, looked up the lyrics because of it. So, Ariana Grande wrote this song as a defense, essentially, for being a homewrecker. And I'm just calling it for what it is. She had an affair with one of her colleagues, specifically Wicked co-star Ethan Slater, last year. It lasted, I don't know, something like six months, but it destroyed his marriage. He was married to his high school sweetheart, and they had just had their first baby wrecks the marriage things come out in public and now she writes this song and her response to literally destroying this marriage and not that she's the only one is yes and she writes a whole song and i'll read some of the lyrics giving a pg version and if you find yourself in a dark situation just turn on your light and be like yes and 
Say that bleep with your chest and be on your own. Be your own best friend. Say that with your chest. Keep moving. Keep moving like, okay, what's next? Yes, and? As in like, okay, you're getting criticized. Be your own best friend. Compliment yourself. What's the big deal? These are some of her lyrics. And just over and over again, she has this attitude. Okay, next. Yes, and? I'm, she says, I'm so done with caring what you think. Now I won't hide underneath your own projections or change my most authentic life. Whew. There was a lot to this song, and I know we could sit here getting overheated about Ariana Grande and what her and Ethan Slater did to wreck his marriage to his high school sweetheart right after they had a baby. We could totally dive into that. But as I'm sitting there reading the lyrics and I hear this story, it ended up being a little bit more of a personal reflection of how two things. One, what you sing to is what you do. And a lot of the music we're consuming today isn't the way we should be living or embracing. And sure, it might have a great tune to it, but repeatedly hearing the music of a lot of these songs today It's interesting. I was with a group of women the other night, and one of the girls loves secular music, shared, yeah, I've actually started to cut back on the types of music I'm consuming and really listening to the lyrics. And she said as she started cutting things out, she's realizing there's a lot more peace for her. Uh, She has less anxiety. And it's interesting because I've cut... A number of years ago, I cut out vast majority of music. And when I hear modern music now, I tend to get a lot of anxiety. Now, this is actually fascinating if you dive into some of the philosophy and science behind this, because historically, music moved to a rhythm, a harmony that was in harmony, in rhythm with nature. And so there wasn't this disruption to that natural harmony that we hear coming from nature. But modern music intentionally disrupts that natural harmony. It doesn't have normal, peaceful sounds. And not that it all has to be classic or jazz or whatever, not even saying that jazz is one of those that moves in the same type of beats. But I think it's really interesting that modern music, for many people, when you detach from it and then enter back into it, it causes anxiety, it causes stress, not to mention actually realizing what you're singing to. And again, we might not be here being homewreckers and destroying a marriage to a high school sweetheart. I'm not here to point out the stick in her eye because we all have things that we're doing that we justify. And so that was my other take on this of what am I doing that I tend to justify instead of showing remorse? Two recent non-apologies include Ariana Grande for her part in ruining a marriage. And then I was also thinking I'd covered it recently, Justin Timberlake, his recent public appearance after the memoir of Britney Spears sharing about the abortion that they went through over 20 years ago. He came out a couple weeks ago with saying something along the lines of, I apologize to, and this is a PG version, to absolutely no one. He has no apology. And... These public displays of outright, of an outright lack of remorse, it should be startling for us individuals. It's startling for me because I'm a product of the modern day culture. Yes, we may have faith. Yes, we may go to church. Yes, we may pray. But we don't get out unscathed by what's happening in the culture, by the normative music that we're consuming, the normative shows, the normative people we're spending our time around. 
What we sing to is what we do. Who we spend time with is who we become. The influencers we follow are who influence and inspire us. So here we are in the season of Lent, and I hope the reflection is to ponder how we should show remorse, how we should have an apology, how there should be contrition for something we do, outright running to confession. Praise the Lord, we are Catholic and we have this great sacrament. Having a firm purpose of amendment because we want to move past that sin and that wrong we've done. We all sin. And then entering into reconciliation with our community, with the person we've harmed, with ourselves, with God. What feels good to me is so easy to justify. My sins, I need to learn to own and ask forgiveness and move past by the grace of Jesus Christ. And so do you. And so I'm not here taking this Ariana Grande song, Yes, and as a justification to point fingers to the barbaric situation that was occurring, but to take stock. And remember that Jesus encourages us in Matthew chapter 7. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And so, yes, we can look out at the culture and see these things that are going wrong. But when we hear songs such as these in this justification to her sin, and she's, yes, and I'm moving on. What's next? I'll be my own best friend. I'm sick of hearing your projections and criticisms. I'll just live my authentic life. Our authentic life is not meant to be sinners. Our authentic life is not meant to justify the wrongs we do to ourselves, to others, to God. Our authentic life is to enter into the life of God himself. And praise the Lord, he's given us these great sacraments of baptism, reconciliation, the Eucharist, all of the seven sacraments so that we might enter into the life of Christ. And so this brings me to what I encourage you to work on this Lent. Hopefully you have a plan and you're executing it. And if you haven't, that's okay. It's not too late. Never is. And maybe you're struggling. Maybe you need to readjust. Maybe you've taken on too much or too little. But I mentioned earlier in the week, take on addressing that predominant sin in your life. It might be the sin you justify. might be the sin you're avoiding confession because of. Or it could be the sin that you take to the confessional over and over again. Do you know what it is? And if you don't, take a deep dive into an examination of conscience. We'll post a link to a very thorough examination of conscience that you can do to help you navigate, figuring out what that is, praying, asking the Holy Spirit to inspire you to know what that is and to want to eradicate it from your life. And ask for forgiveness. Go running to confession. And look at what the opposing virtue is that you need to grow in and ask the Lord to give that to you. Find simple ways to perhaps exercise that. Enter into the life of Christ by being showered and poured forth with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the sacraments. It is possible to overcome whatever thing that has become so habitual you don't even see it as a big deal anymore. But remember that it once was. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. And on that note, that reminds me of a line I heard some, someone say the other night that went along, the, along this, the lines of this. She said, I heard something recently and 
It was take care of your body as if you'll live forever. Care for your soul as though you'll die today. I thought that was incredibly profound. Take care of your body as if you'll live forever and care for your soul as though you'll die today. When I think of that, I really do think that this whole idea of take care of your body as if you'll live forever, it's you and your body. You have your body as a companion for the entirety of your life. Shouldn't we be making great strides to not just be comfortable in our bodies, but to embrace and enjoy our bodies? I think there are some basics that we can spruce up on both on the body and the soul. When I read this line, take care of your bodies if you'll live forever and care for your soul as though you'll die today. With regard to the body, some things I love to think of are these ideas of being agile, fit, robust, and nimble for your state in life. That we're working to try not to lose that. It doesn't matter the season you're in. I've worked in the fitness world for years and I've worked with people of all ages, all shapes, sizes, injuries, herniated discs, damage from professional careers, falls, accidents. And the people who I see, even in the midst of physical pain, physical injury, missing body parts, who are comfortable in their bodies are the ones who still see the necessity not just to discipline their body, but to care for and embrace their body where it's at. Okay, you're overweight. Embrace your body where it's at and care for it so that you in your state in life can achieve what is appropriate for that agility, for appropriate for that fitness for you in particular. What is robust for you is not robust for another person. What is nimble for you is not nimble for another person. You need to know yourself. Know the type of exercise you're never going to do and know the type of exercise you need. For example, I'm never going to run. I will not run. I am not a runner. It won't happen. I'm not getting a treadmill. I'm not going to run around the block. It just, it's not me. But there are tons of other exercise I can and will do. And fitness has to be sustainable based on the season of life that we're in. What's sustainable today may not be sustainable next week, five years from now, or even 10 years ago what you did. For example, my sustainability is, okay, I've got to get out for a walk. That's something I can do easily with my girls. They love it. They need to get outside. And then shooting for that half an hour of exercise a day. It could be with my children literally climbing over the top of me. It could be at 6 a.m. in the morning before they wake up, although they keep waking up before my 6 a.m. alarm, which has been fun lately. Or it could be after they go to bed. It's different. It's adaptable. It has to make sense for the season in life you're in. Same with food for your body. Do you know your body and what allows for you to take care of your body as if you'll live forever? And I'm not talking about buying this thing that will give you longevity of life. I'm talking about getting control over the diet, cutting out the things you know that you personally don't do well with. And if you don't know, getting advice and training and teaching. With all of my food allergies over the years, I've had to relearn how to cook multiple times. It's been very humbling and very difficult at times because I'll hit a wall. I don't know what to eat anymore. I don't know what to eat anymore. I've shared this before. I'm allergic to gluten, corn, soy, dairy, peanuts, shrimp. At one point, I had over 30 food allergies. And recently, I've had to take rice out. I'm allergic to rice as well. And that was really hard. That was like another kind of roadblock And I knew that I could really only eat it about once a week or so. But once I actually made that commitment to taking it out, it was almost like, again, I I hit this wall. I can't have gluten-free bread that had rice in it. 
I can't have a gluten-free pasta that had rice in it. And you'd be surprised how many things have these items in your diet. That's my journey. I don't know what it is for you that you know is just impacting your body and that ability to truly care and nourish it. And finally, the soul. Take care of your bodies if you'll live forever, but care for your soul as though you'll die today. Are we meeting that baseline basics when it comes to our soul? Morning and night prayer that's equating to at least 30 minutes a day with an examination of conscience in there at the end of the day, which then prepares us to go to confession monthly. Are we reading about the lives of the saints or being inspired in some way by them? Keeping good company, in other words. Are we making it to Mass and truly being present to pray the Mass and be present for the sacrifice of the Mass? And again, other things we can do. Make a holy hour once a week to weekly adoration. But those those essential things are morning and night prayer, equating to about 30 minutes. And really making sure you're hitting that confession once a month. So the challenge to you, and I hope you'll ponder it. I'd love to hear if you have thoughts on the statement. Take care of your bodies if you'll live forever. Care for your soul as though you'll die today. <laughs>